We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. To Judges chapter 7. As we're going to attempt to go through a couple of chapters tonight, in order to kind of finish up the, the story of Gideon, just out of curiosity, how many of you need to paint your houses? I know I do. Oh, man, I'm praying that we'll be able to do that real soon. Imagine if you had somebody that said, hey, there's this guy that paints houses for free. Paints houses for free. You're like, man, no way. And then you talk to your friend. Yeah, he does. He really does paint houses for free. You don't have to pay him a penny. And so you meet with this guy who supposedly paints houses for free. And he says, well, this is all I ask, the guy says. Just if we could maybe talk a little bit each day, that would be cool. And then number two, all I'm going to ask you to do is just to do a few things around the house that I know you can do. If you would be willing to talk with me a little bit each day, if you'd be willing to do just a few things that I'm going to ask you to do right around the house, things that are very doable, then I will paint your house for free. I will color your world. I will, and of course you know the illustration now, bless your life. And you know, that's kind of the way it works with the Lord. You know, if you're willing to talk with Him a little bit each day, we call it prayer. If you're willing to do just the things that he asks you to do, things that are very doable, it's called obey. If we're willing to pray and obey, then God will color your world. God will bless your life. There will be no enemy. I promise you this. There will be no enemy that you cannot defeat. You will be able to defeat all your enemies. You will be able to defeat me, yourself, you know, because that's the, the toughest one. All you got to do is pray and obey. You know, and we see that throughout the scriptures. And we see what God wants to do in our life. You know, I, I think of Gideon, and most of you guys probably know the story of Gideon. You've probably heard it a million times. But I pray it would never go old. I mean, in the end, we had 300 guys against 135,000 guys. And so, 450 to 1. That was the odds. 450 to 1. When was the last time you saw one guy kill 450 guys? I mean, that just doesn't happen. But with the Lord, of course, we know it can. And there you are, and here you are tonight in your life. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life. I don't know what... You know, your 135,000 are. I don't know what your Midianites are. I don't know what your challenge is. It's the enemy. It's me. I don't know what it is. But you know what? I wanted to share with you a message of victory. A message of victory in Jesus Christ. That if we're just willing to pray and obey, then God will do a great work. If we're willing to believe and receive then God will do a great work. You know, I know a lot of you here, you're thinking, well, but Manny, I'm just all messed up. I'm not very strong. I'm just a normal person. And that's why the Lord uses an individual like Gideon. 
And God says, well, if I can use him, then I can use you, and I can do anything through your life. But the problem is, a lot of times, we all make excuses. Well, I'm not good enough. I'm mentally this. I'm emotionally this. I'm spiritually that. I've been through this when I grew up and all this kind of stuff. You know, and I'm not making light of any of those things. I understand how difficult that is and how devastating it can be. But it's not too hard for God. Because I, I know this. I know this, that there is nothing too hard for God. And I just pray that we would go forward and that we would do whatever it is that God wants us to do. Because, you know, it's really easy to understand when you read the Bible that all of us have a certain part to play in the body of Christ. And when you get that victory, when you understand how good God is, then you will bless the people. You will bless God, kind of like Gideon did. He blessed the whole nation. And I pray that God would just really communicate to you how much he wants to bless your life and use your life, even though we're not a whole lot. We're going to see that today. Nothing's too hard for God. Because look what it says right here in verse 1. It says, Then Jerubbaal, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, they rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 Remained. Just in case you weren't here last week, what we saw last week was that the Midianites were pretty much, you know, man, they were just torturing the Israelites, you know. Right when it was payday, they would go and, you know, steal their cash. I mean, right when it was harvest time, they would sweep in like locusts and clean them out. The Midianites were making life so miserable for the children of Israel that they even drove them out of their homes. Their homes were not right. They had to live in caves and dens. It was just a crazy thing what the Midianites were doing. And so the angel of the Lord, God himself, came down and appeared to Gideon and told him, Oh, you mighty man of valor, I'm going to use your life. And Gideon says, I don't, me, Lord, you know, I'm the weakest of my clan. I mean, how can you possibly use me? And then God began to confirm to him through the fleece and, you know, accepting the sacrifice that, that truly it was the Lord that was moving. It was the Lord that was working in their life. And so after the fleece and that confirmation, you know, the leader does need that confirmation at times. They go and they gather the, the army together. And it turns out that there were 32,000 soldiers gathered together there on the on this uh, spring, uh, the well of Harad. Uh, you can still see it today. If you go online, you can still see the little spring right there. It's really cool where they camped. And they looked down on the 135,000 soldiers of Midian. But the Lord said, you know what, Gideon, in verse 2, you got too many guys with you, man. You have 32,000. Now, that's four to one. God said, it's still too many guys. And so what you need to do is you need to ask them if there's anyone afraid. 
And that way we could thin out the ranks. And that way, the children of Israel will never say that they did it. Their way will be so clear that God did the work. You know, when you look at this right here, it's so cool. It's fundamental, I think, for us. In order to really be strong Christians, to know that God is on our side, able to defeat any form of opposition, and it's important for us to make sure that we give God the glory. You know, I don't want to, you know, ruin the story for you, but Gideon is used by God in a great way. He really is. But at the end of the story, we see that he was not perfect that he was just a man. We're reminded of that. I think so that by the end of the story, we don't walk away tonight thinking, man, Gideon is great. Gideon is awesome. That guy is amazing. No, so that by the end of the story, we would say God is great. And God is gets all the glory. Because let me tell you something. You may not know everybody's flaws, but everybody has them. And everybody is unable and everybody is unworthy. And we have to make sure that God is glorified and not men. Because when we glorify men, we're setting ourselves up for a stumble somewhere along the way. And so the Lord says, okay, you test these guys right here. Anybody afraid? Anyone afraid? Moses kind of wrote about this in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. In the context of war, he said, The officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so two things are going on here. One, God is thinning the ranks so that he gets the glory after the victory. Very important. And number two, it's kind of cool. The Lord is teaching us that the soldiers who are afraid don't belong in the fight. Get rid of them. Get rid of those who lack courage because they're not good for my people. And that's exactly what Moses mentions there in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Sending the fearful home would not only reduce the number of Israelites so that God gets the glory, but it was also God's way of making sure the soldiers were courageous soldiers. After all, there was and is really no place for fearful fighters. They might demoralize the other men to where they would become faint of heart. You know, one thing that's interesting is the word harad there in verse 1. It literally means trembling. And so we're going to see 32,000 soldiers leave. In other words, 32,000 soldiers were infected with fear. How will the army go forward if the people are filled with fear and not faith? How will the congregation go forward? How will the family go forward? if we're filled with fear and not faith. And I think this is God's way of saying, no, I don't want to get rid of you guys. I love you guys. I love all of you. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I want you to be courageous people. Warren Risby said the really dangerous enemies were within the hearts of Gideon's soldiers because fear was one of them. 
You know, this question of the Lord, this action, this decision, reduced the number of Israelite soldiers from 32,000 down to 10,000. Now remember, according to chapter 8, verse 10, they're going up against an army of 135,000. And so you're like, okay, 135,000, 10,000. Okay, Lord, we're good to go now, right? (laughs) And God says, no, not yet. There's still more to do. Look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. You know, you would figure with 10,000 left, it would be an army small enough to give God the glory. After all, they're going against 135,000. But, you guys, it's amazing, huh? God knows how we have that tendency to glorify men, huh? We have that tendency to think, well, it was my smarts and my decisions and, you know, my brains and my brute strength that got me the victory you know and so god he just wants to make sure god knows and so in order to make absolutely sure the lord thins out the ranks even more from 32,000 to 10,000 and now from 10,000 to 300 maybe you're there today maybe god has stripped you of your resources You know, those things that were your security blanket, so to speak. You know, they say there's strength in numbers. But understand this, and I'm telling you this with all my heart. You know, if God has stripped you down to your resources and, man, you felt like you have nothing left, then I'm telling you this, it's perfect timing. It's perfect time for you to rise up and believe in God once again. It's perfect time for you to go forward and make your way through all the things in life and lay hold of His garment. Because what God does is God will strip you of your resources in order for us to build up our faith if we stay focused on Him. Remember what 1 Samuel 14.6, it says, For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. You know, the first time the Lord took out the guys that were braveless, the second time the Lord took out the guys that were careless. And this would be important, right? I mean, you got the guys, imagine, you know, there you are, it's a hot day. I know, and so the majority of the guys, what do they do? They're like, man, I'm going to throw my head in the water, right? And just, man, I'm going to drink and, oh, it feels so good. But what that does is that then shows that they're not, you know, soldiers, who are on guard. They're careless Christians. And there should not be careless Christians. Really shouldn't. 
Oh, Lord will work it all out. It's no big deal. It's not, you know, really that much of an issue. You know, and, you know, there are some people like that. They take their Christianity that way. And, you know, uh, true, probably nine times out of ten, things work out. But what about that one time where you didn't double check? What about that little kid over there who gets hurt because there was a careless parent or a careless teacher? What about that sheep right there who one day finds himself ravaged by wolves because there was a careless shepherd who thought, well, everything's going to be okay. I don't have to pray. I don't have to really watch. I don't have to be extra cautious. All I'm saying is this, that we we need to. You know, we need to be safe. I mean, you know, we can't stick our heads in the water. We always have to be on guard. The Lord here is not only thinning the ranks out in order to make sure that He gets the glory, He's also teaching us how to be good soldiers. And we need to have this heart that cares. Judges chapter 7, verse 7. Says the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you. Who will save you? God says, I will save you. And deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. And so we read in verse 8, it says, So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands and sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Now if I just want to pause there for a second. Um, In our life, um, there's things that we have to be aggressive in. There's areas of our life, it may be me, areas of my own life, or strongholds that the enemy has taken hold of in my life that we need to attack, that we need to be aggressive in. And and we need to listen to the Lord because He'll tell us those divine details. He will give us those specific situations and areas and strongholds in our life. And what God is saying basically is attack. Be sometimes on the offensive. Be sometimes aggressive don't always live your life defensively what god is saying to gideon now is go get the great ground you know i want you to get this land i want you to take a step but it says right here in verse 10 but if you are afraid to go down go down to the camp with pura your servant and you shall hear what they say and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp and so he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley, as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. And then his companion answered and said, 
This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel into a... a wait a minute. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. God is so cool, huh? He's so cool. Isn't he so wonderful? How many of you can testify that God has been long-suffering with you in your life? He's been pretty patient with us, huh? You know, and after everything that's happened, you know, God, remember, if you remember chapter 6, God came down and zapped up the uh, sacrifice and, you know, God, you know, confirmed it with the fleece two times. I mean, here's God speaking to him and uh, he's fellowshipping with God and and still Gideon's afraid, you know, and and I'm not saying that, you know, it's okay to be afraid and I'm not saying it's okay, you know, to blow it. But, you know, the Lord knows our weaknesses and He's still willing to meet us there. You know, I was talking to an individual the other day and, you know, basically what's going on in their life is the enemies is coming in and telling them, you know what, just give up. Just, just throw in the towel. Raise the white flag. Just give up. And I, and I told this individual, I said, you know, when you're a child of God, the only one that can really defeat you is you. You're the only one that can really defeat you. I mean, the devil's going to come in and the world will come in, but ultimately, the only one that can defeat you is you. And so I said, just never give up. Just never give up. Because our God is a long-suffering God. He's a patient God. And here Gideon is, is afraid He's still afraid, and the Lord says, "Okay, Gideon, go down and get him." But but if you're still afraid, let me talk to you a little more. Go down to the camp with your friend Pura, and and let me just kind of give you a little bit more strength in your hands to do what I want you to do. And so he goes down there, and as he goes down there, he hears this these guys. It just so happens that you know he just hears these guys talking about this dream. The dream the guy had was it was an amazing thing. He said, man, this barley loaf. Now, when you study the Bible, you know that barley bread was for the poorest of the poor. So a barley loaf tumbles in and knocks down the tents of the Midianites. And so Gideon hears that. Not only does he hear that, he hears the interpretation. Here the Midianite soldiers are talking to each other and they're saying this is nothing but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. And he's going to come in and wipe us out. And right when he heard that proclamation of victory in his life, his hands were strengthened. You know, and I don't know how it works for us, I do know that ultimately we will have victory in the Lord. Uh, one day we will be glorified. There will be no more sin. And I think that when we walk in that victory, um, it strengthens us now. John Corson, he would always say we walk from victory, not for victory. When we know we won the battle, 
and we walk in that, it's so cool what the Lord does. And that's exactly what ends up happening in the life of Gideon. But first, he needs to be strengthened by the Lord. I'm sure Gideon could identify with the barley bread because, again, this was for the poorest of the poor and Gideon knew who he was. Just in case you're here tonight and you're one of those people who thinks, you know what, not me, I'm a sinner, or not me, you know, I'm just uh, a normal, average, ordinary individual, or not only that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of weird or whatever. I don't know what you think about yourself. I mean, there's a way, I, I think we've got to make sure that we don't, you know, get caught up in the self-esteem thing. You know, it's not about self-esteem. This is about knowing who you are in the Lord. But just in case you're here, Gideon is an example for us. It says in Judges 6, watch if you go back to Judges 6, verse 15. So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Some of us, we feel that way, huh? I don't. I mean, not me. I don't. I don't feel like I'm. I'm gifted enough. I don't feel like I have enough faith. I got all these challenges in my life, and and God is just waiting for you and I to lay hold of who we are in Christ. I mean, if you go over to First Corinthians real quick, I know most of you probably are familiar with this verse, but I remember when I did a, a, a devotional, the very first teaching I ever did in my whole life was here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and I never really knew how important it was but it says here in 1 Corinthians 1 it says for you see your calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called it doesn't say that there's no wise or mighty or noble it just says there's not a lot you know, and so we're not that smart. You know, we're not that strong. We're not that rich. But it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, that's the way of the kingdom. You know, God chooses ordinary people like us. And what he does is, in one sense, he makes us extraordinary. He makes us extraordinary. And there's an individual over there, and there's one over there, and there's one here. They're no longer living a subpar Christian life. They're no longer living a nominal, you know, walk with the Lord. They're no longer doing that because they understood that God has chosen them. And when they allow God to get a hold of their entire life, then God will raise them up and God will use them in, a, in such a way that it will bring him glory and it will influence people for his good. You see, and that's what we need to understand. You know, going back to Gideon, he was just like a, a barley loaf, you know. That's all we are. And we know we're nothing special. But you see, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? 
Second Corinthians twelve nine, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, and that's what we're going to find in the life of Gideon. I love what Gideon did when this whole thing happened, the revelation came. Look again at verse fifteen of Judges seven. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Isn't that cool? That's really cool, huh? I love that. I think he worshipped God, you know, because God had given him the victory. Uh, One person said he probably worshipped God because he was so patient with him. I think that's cool. You know, it's always best before you war to worship. It's always best before you fight to fellowship with the Father, huh? It's always best before you stand before men to kneel before God. It's always best, huh, before you war to worship. Because when you worship, it's so cool what ends up happening. You know, when we understand it doesn't matter who I am, Lord. All I want to do is discover who you are. That's all I want in my life. What matters most is who God is. And do I really see? Can I really hear the victory that's already been proclaimed over my life? You know, if you think about it right here, think about this. Even the enemy knows the ultimate victory that's available to us. In Christ Jesus. The enemy knows. But a lot of times, we don't know. And I think if we would just be kind of like Gideon sometimes and maybe go down and listen, that things might be a lot different. Here we see the Lord communicated the victory to Gideon. So it got him going. And now he attacks. It says... In verse 15, that he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So it's right around 10 o'clock. And just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands, Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets... The Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Bethacacia toward Zerath, as far as the border of Abel, Neholah, by Tabath. Now I can picture it in my mind. There's a, a map right there of Israel. 
And uh, I should have showed you guys, huh? But you just go across, and these guys are fighting right here on the uh, west side of the Jordan, and they they flee way, way down here onto the east side of the Jordan. And God gives them a great, great victory. When Gideon goes back, after God shows him, after God opens his eyes, after God opens his ears, Gideon goes back and he says it's time to attack. And man, have I got a plan. <laughs> right? This is a plan. 300 of us will divide up into three companies. Right? And what they do is just an amazing thing. They go into three groups. They find themselves on the outskirts of the camp. They blow their ram's horns and they cry out aloud the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And there at the outpost of the camp, at the beginning of the middle watch, they break their pitchers that were in their hands. And what they do is they allow the light to shine in the dark. You know, they didn't even have a a hand to hold a sword in. They didn't. They had absolutely nothing to do with the physical battle. All they had was spiritual resources. You know, and when you look at that, it's so cool. We we learn so much of this, so much here. I mean, these guys, they didn't even know the whole plan until they were already there. You know, Gideon just says, watch me. I'll, I'll tell you what to do when we get there. You know, in looking at this, I think one of the main things here is the radical requirement of God upon us to be a broken people. You know, when we, the jars of clay, are broken, we're broken of our own will. We're willing to pray. We're willing to obey. When we're broken, then the light of the world will pierce the darkness. You know, you picture that, you know. And again, the Bible calls us jars of clay in Second Corinthians 4, verse 6 and 7. It says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when that individual is broken and that jar of clay is broken, there's this light that shines so bright that the enemies cannot prevail over us any longer. And God is just waiting for you to pray and obey. God is just waiting to unleash His power, the light of the world, when we are broken. You see? I mean, think about these guys down here. And the 135,000 Midianite soldiers, we're going to see that in the get-go, 120,000 die. Um, And I was thinking, Lord, how did you do it? You know, how did you do it, Lord? And I really believe... And I, and, I, and, I, and I can't be dogmatic about this, but I really believe that he blinded them. I, I just believe that. I believe he blinded them. Because you think about it, if you're down there in the, or in the valley and the light shines and you're blinded and you hear all the commotion, what do you do? You just start swinging, huh? Start swinging your sword. That's why they killed each other. They were all killing each other. We're going to see later that not one of the 300 died. They killed themselves. They were blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. But see, 
a lot of us here are not allowing the light and the power of Jesus Christ out because we're not broken. We're not broken. I mean, no offense, but, you know, we don't need to see you. <laughs> they don't, the world, they don't need to see you. I mean, you're pretty and everything and you're handsome and buff and smart and rich. But they don't need to see you. They don't need to see me. What good will it do them to see me? It'll mess them up. It'll mess them up if they see me. They need to see Jesus, the light of the world. And the only way they're going to see Jesus is is when we're broken. You know, as a guy, I know we can hang on to our pride. And it'll kill us and it'll kill our family and it'll ruin everything. You know, I just want to encourage you guys to know this is the way that it works. Adrian Rogers says there's a high cost to low living. It really is. But when we embrace brokenness, not my will, not my deal, not my thrill, you know, when it finally and formally, lovingly, logically really is all about Him, then God will do a great work. And I talk to guys and they're still sleeping around. They're still, you know, messing with pornography online or on the TV. You know, I talk to guys and they're still drinking and they're justifying it. You know, and it could be so many things. You know, and they, and they say, well, you know, I just can't help myself or whatever the excuse is. Well, it's like a circle. It's just like a cycle of defeat. Because you're believing a lie. If you're here today and you're a Christian, then there's no temptation that will come your way that you can't overcome. If you're not a Christian, then you can't do it. If you are a Christian, then you can. Start believing that. Start believing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then that, what that will do is that will give you even more strength. And before you know it, there you are, broken. And the light of Jesus Christ shines. It's so cool. You see, this is what our, our Lord wants. He wants to be glorified. And what He wants basically is a, is a, is a like John 3.30. He must increase. I must decrease. You know, I always think of that scripture, and you don't have to turn there, but... You know, if you don't trust me, you can. In John chapter 21, you guys are good. I mean, this is not like a perfect illustration, but to me, it's a a little bit of an illustration. Because in John 21, it says in verse uh, 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jodah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. And I think that that's the way a lot of us as Christians, we we live. We just kind of, if it really came down to a synopsis of our life, in all reality, we walk where we wish. We kind of do what we what we want. We're immature. We're just immature. When you were younger, Peter, you walk where you wish. 
But I like what the Lord says. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And of course, we know that was the Lord's way of saying this is how you're going to die. But to me, when I read that, I think of, you know, my own life. You know, I've been a Christian now for over 20 years and um, and it's been a journey. It's been a journey and, and it seems like things are going are getting clearer for me of how it really works that I that I that I I can't I can't live my own life. Now sometimes I'll be honest with you, when I'm praying as as a pastor or a leader, you know, I could say this to you, I could say, Well, when you're twenty years old like I am you know, then, you know, you'll whatever, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll learn the things that I'm learning. But the Lord is, is, is just basically telling me that's not the way it works. You see, we learn together. We learn together. And that's why it's important for teachers and leaders to be mature. You don't have to wait until you're 20 years old in the Lord. This is a message for us as a church. This is a message for me right where we're at tonight that God wants us to be broken of our own will. You can't even dress the way you want to dress. You can't. We have to bring everything into submission to Jesus Christ. We can't say a single word. We can't think a, thing, a single thought. We shouldn't anyways. Everything needs to fall under the banner of the Lord. And the only reason I'm saying that, it's not like, you know, God's trying to ruin your life. God's trying to rescue your life, you know. And it's not like God's trying to mess things up. God just wants to use you. God just wants the people to see Jesus. And I just don't think that the church has done a very good job of allowing the world to see Jesus. But when we're broken, they will see him. And the enemies will be defeated. And that goes for us together corporately. That goes for you individually. It goes for your family. It's a message of victory. And that's what God wants us to have. And so they do this. It's so cool to see what ends up happening. Look at verse 23. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. And then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize them, the watering places, from the watering places as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. And then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. You see, the victory was clearly the Lord's doing. And what ends up happening is as the Lord gives them the victory, the Lord then allows others to get involved. People from Naphtali, Asher, Manasseh, the hill country of Ephraim, where the enemies had fled and they captured the commanders of the army. We read next in chapter 8 and verse 1, Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. 
You know, and Gideon should have said, you know, get out of town, clown, right? He could have got really upset. What are you talking about? You know, I'm the Lord's anointed, whatever. But he doesn't, right? He said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? That's uh, Gideon's family. God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what I was able to do in comparison with you, then their anger toward him subsided when he saw that. And so there's some wisdom intact in Gideon's life. It says right here, they were angry with Gideon because they were left out, the Ephraimites. They didn't share in the initial glory that Gideon tactfully gave them a soft answer. And that what that did was that healed the wounds and prevented division. It's better to do that than to start another war. Have you ever had your wife or your husband come and say something to you? And what do you want to do? You want to fight fire with fire, right? You're like, you throw a right, I'll throw a writer, right? <laughs> and the Lord says what? A soft answer, Proverbs 15:1. it turns away wrath. It's so cool. You know, every once in a while I get the ability to do that and I'll walk away and I'll go, thank you, Lord, right? And then I'll say, Lord, that wasn't me. That was you. And the Lord says, yeah, Manny, that's how your life is supposed to be. See, right here, Gideon, he just, you know, really cool. Hey, you guys got the big guys, you know, chillax, right? When Gideon in verse 4 came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. And then he said to the men of Sukkot, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zamuna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zamuna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. And so he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. And so some of you are going, Yeah, I like that, man. I want to do. I want to tear somebody's tower down. You know, I want to teach them a lesson. But but you know what? A lot of, a lot of teachers believe that Gideon was already beginning to mess up because you don't see the Lord telling him to do that, huh? I mean, maybe these guys had a covenant with the Midianites of some sort. You know, of course, Gideon's army is hungry. They want some bread. These guys say no. And, and Gideon, though, we don't see the Lord really directing him in this. And so be careful. What does the Bible say? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, a lot of you are here. You're like, I don't get mad. I get even, right? A lot of you are like that. And God says, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. I don't know for sure. All I know is that we don't really see the Lord directing at this time. They're hungry. These guys don't want to feed them. And so what ends up happening, we read in verse 10, Now Ziba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. That's crazy. Notice again, there's 300 with Gideon. 
And so it says in verse 11, Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in the tents on the east of Noba and Jagbeha, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. And then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Haris. And he caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Sukkoth and its elders, 77 men. And then he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Here are Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Sukkoth. And then he tore down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the city. Now again, we don't know for sure you know, whether or not this was the will of the Lord, but we don't read of the Lord directing him at this time. And we see later on, and it doesn't take long, huh? It doesn't take long for men to be caught up with the victory and pride. I think it was Warren Wiersbe who said the, the most dangerous time is after the victory. Here we see them, you know, doing these things. What happens in verse 18? He said to Ziba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? Now, we don't have any information about this. But it says, So they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. And they said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. So Ziba and Zamuna said, Rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. And so Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zamuna, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. And then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And I like that, huh, you guys? Don't you like that? You know, and that's the way it was supposed to be. Israel was supposed to be not a monarchy in the initial phases. There was supposed to be a theocracy. Well, in one sense, a monarchy in that God was supposed to be the king. Now, it's cool the way Gideon here says... I, I don't want to be the one to rule over you. I don't want to start, you know, this king and my son and his son. Let the Lord rule over you, right? And that's a great thing. And so you're thinking, okay, Gideon was, was a perfect man, right? But look what happens. Look what we read next in verse 24. And then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And so they answered, We will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That would be 42 pounds of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camel necks. And then Gideon made it, here it is, into an ephod. Ah! 
He set it up in his city, Ophrah, and all Israel played the harlot with it. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more. In other words, the Midianites were wiped out, right? They couldn't regain their strength. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went, that's Gideon, and dwelt in his own house. Here it is. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age, and he was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Ophrah of the Abusrites. I always think of Oprah when I read. That's hard for me to say, Oprah. <laughs> and you know, it was. I don't know how you guys feel about this. You know, there's some people in the Bible like Joseph and Daniel, maybe Job, of course Jesus. And you see, man, they're they're perfect. You know, characters, so to speak. You don't see really the blemishes. But here in Gideon, in the end of his life, you do, huh? He wanted gold. That, that probably wasn't a cool thing, right? He didn't have to ask for the gold. And he didn't have to ask for the girls. He had a whole bunch of wives, a whole bunch of kids, right? And what he did was that gold was he made it into an ephod. Now, you guys know what an ephod is, right? An ephod was the garment what, what the priests would wear. And, and we don't know exactly how it worked, but some say that maybe Gideon declined the, the kingship but made himself a priest. He's in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. So in one sense, you know, he's, he's still an example of faith at this time in his life. He's still saved. But it wasn't like finishing in a way that would really bring honor to God. You know, earlier today I was talking to a guy and we're, at, we're actually talking about, you know, the, the last days of our life. You know, and I and I talk to my kids about this sometimes. And so those of us, you know, who are older, you know, once you hit like your 40s, huh? We know, huh? I could have a heart attack any day, right? I mean, it's not like I'm obsessed with it, but I think about it, and I just think, you know what? As I as I close my life, I was telling this individual, you want to finish stronger, not weaker. You want to finish stronger. You want to. Show your wife how much you love her. So that when she goes and gives your eulogy, that she doesn't have to lie. Right? I'm serious, man. Because, you know, you do a funeral and everybody says all these nice things. Was it true? You want it to be real. All I'm saying is that here's Gideon and he doesn't finish his life well. And at first I was like, Lord, that's a bummer. And God says, such is human nature. But then the Lord reminded me, Manny, Manny, Manny. Once again, remember, it's not about Gideon. It's about God. God will never fail you. God is the one that we need to draw our strength from. I thank God for the examples that we have and people in our life. But none of them, not one of them, can be your foundation. Not one of them can be your single source of strength. It's not about Gideon in the end, huh? It's about God. 
A guy could take a donkey. We're going to see that later. The jawbone of a donkey. It's all about what God can do. And as we allow ourselves to let God use our life, then we can be used by Him. But in the end, it's such a bummer when you see the way the gold and the glory and the gods and the girls got Gideon. And so we read in verse 33, so it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, uh, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. And thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. And there we go again, messing up. And I pray that we would learn from this today, you guys. We don't have to go back to our vomit. You don't have to. You're not trapped in it. You're not. Remember the Lord. Remember how good He is. Remember what He's done. Remember, He's like this... I don't know. I know it sounds weird. But He's like this painter. And He wants to paint your house for free. He wants to color your world. He wants to bless your life. And all He's saying is, Hey, be broken. Pray and obey and watch what I do Lord we thank you for your love and your grace in our life and Father I know there's a lot here I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit would minister to your people Uh, they don't need me not for a single second Uh, all we need is you and your word Lord I know you have great plans Lord for them for me for us as a church you don't want us to be afraid. You want us to have faith. You don't want us to be neither braveless nor careless. You want us to be strong soldiers. And so help us, Lord, because there really is a dark world that needs the light of the world. They need Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, you do a great work in all of our lives. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you and is not a Christian, that right now, right here, Lord, they would know they're sinners in need of a Savior. And God, you love them so much. You're, you're here to rescue them. You're here to help them. And so I pray, Lord, if there's anyone hurting inside, empty inside, that right now, Lord, we would just come forward and say, God, break me. Lord God, I give my life to you. I surrender everything to you. I, I might end up as a doormat. I might, up, might end up, you know, dead. But only then, Lord, will I live. Only then will I walk. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, especially for the hurting hearts here tonight. Lord, let them know that there is a God who values them, and who loves them, and who died for them. And you're here for them tonight. Lord, I pray you touch and you do a great work. We thank you so much. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414.
remember that Jesus loves you.